Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. Man, well, welcome to church tonight. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Uh, I'm just honored to be here. Just an incredible joy, uh, like Caleb said. Are you Pastor Caleb now? Are you, is that what people call it? Pastor Pastor Caleb, Bishop Caleb. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Caleb. Uh, Man, it's just crazy. Like he said, I was here um, in the summer of 2013, kind of helping with the student ministry. Um, At that time, we didn't have the cool name Legacy. Uh, It's way cooler now. You guys are way cooler. Um, But uh, helping with the student ministry. So it's so incredible just to see some of those people that, um, we're in the youth ministry, or maybe not even in the youth ministry yet because they were so young, um, now leading worship and preaching and teaching and leading teams and that sort of thing. It's just really incredible to see. Like, I love this worship team is so young. Like, that's a very rare thing to see young people in, this, in the house of God serving Jesus. I think that's something that should be celebrated. And, uh, and I'm just excited to be here, especially I just wanted to, to honor Caleb for a moment because I think uh, often I work a lot with young people at our church. We have a lot of young people, young adults, uh, high schoolers, middle schoolers, that sort of thing. And one of the biggest questions, um, not just young people, but I think anybody can ask is, what is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to do with my life? And often we want this big answer and we want every single piece laid out in front of us and every step laid out in front of us. But often what God wants us to do is what's right in our hand. And so often it's not this thing that's some far off and some place where we have, it's just what's in front of you. See what God has placed an opportunity in your life and step into that. And so I think it's so incredible, especially in your life, just to see the growth that has happened um, just by taking little opportunities. And so from what, it, you know, back when you used to, I don't know, you may still play the drums, but playing the drums, leading worship team, now leading youth. And I heard he spoke for the first time on Sunday. Was it incredible? Uh, come on. And so, uh, so it's just incredible to see the growth that is happening. And like you said, I just feel like I'm at home. Uh, I am kind of at home. This is like my second home because my family, this is where they attend church. If you don't know me, you probably know the Slavics. And that is my claim to fame, that I am Koinophemia Slavic's son-in-law and uh, Caleb Slavic's brother-in-law. If you need his number, just let me know. Come to me after service. I will give it to you. Uh, I'll give you some money to go on a date too. Uh, just kidding. But, um, but that's my claim to fame. If you don't know, um, me and Hannah, which is uh, the Slavic's daughter, we got married about 14 days, less than 12 days ago. 12 days ago. Um, so yeah, that's what... That's what I keep, I, if, I, if you see me fidgeting, I'm not quite used to this yet. Everybody says your finger's a little bit heavier, so I'm kind of fidgeting with that. But uh, I have a few pictures I wanted to show you guys from our wedding. Uh, if we have those pictures. So this is us. We got married in Dripping Springs in Texas, a little bit south of Austin. We can go to the next one. I think this is one of Hannah. Oh, look at her. Isn't she beautiful? That's my wife right there. That's who I get to go home to tonight. It's going to be incredible. And then we got one more. That's right. We can kiss. We got, we got the license. We got the license right here. We can do it. Um, but it's just incredible. Married life is the best life. It is true. But, um, but yeah, it's just an honor to be with you guys today. Like Caleb said, 
We launched Oasis Church about a year ago, I think 13 months ago, and uh, it's just been incredible to see what God has done in Round Rock. We started in our home, then moved to a coffee shop on Sunday nights, and then we were able to get a, a small uh, church that was closing down. We were able to get, move in there, and now we have two services that we're packing out, about to add another service on Sunday morning. We had about, I think, 476 people on our one-year anniversary. We've baptized about 50 people this year, uh, seeing people get saved every single week. And uh, we don't say that to brag, but we say that to say that that's what we moved there for. So we came back to Round Rock. We were all doing different things. We came to Round Rock to reach people and uh, reach people all over the Austin area. That's why we say Austin, because we have people that come from all over, uh, from Georgetown, from Round Rock, Cedar Park, Pflugerville, South Austin. So we just say we're in Austin. We're not in Round Rock. We're all over the place. But hey, are you ready for the word this morning? I know we, we had a lot of preliminaries, but... Um, I love that song because it just tied directly what I was going to speak to. I was going to speak about identity tonight, um, but I just really felt like God changed. I, I have this thing where if God doesn't want me to speak on something, he literally won't let me focus on it. So all day long, I'm trying to like prepare my notes and prepare myself, and I just cannot. It's like my brain is scrambled, and I haven't been really feeling that well. I took a lot of day quills, so I'm like, maybe it's just because I'm sick. And then finally, I was just like, okay, God, what are you, what are you trying to say? What are you, what are you trying to change up? And so I want to read a scripture to you from John chapter 14. Uh, I'm going to read it off my iPad because I can't see my Bible up here. It's kind of dark and all moody. I think they have it on the screens. Uh, let, let's read it together. It says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. That's a sermon right there. I could just leave it. Well, let's, let's have the salvation prayer. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. I love this. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Tonight, I want to speak to you just for a few moments. I know it's a refreshed service, so it's Wednesday night. But if you just give me a few moments, I believe God's going to speak to you tonight about some things that are going on in your life. I want to speak to you just from this topic of life on the line. Life on the line. Let's pray together tonight. Dear Lord, we thank you for what you've already done in this service. We thank you for our incredible time of worship, the time of uh, community and just hanging out, seeing our friends. We thank you for what you're already doing in people's lives, that you're already touching people, that you are making a way where there seems to be no way, that you are bringing healing and provision. God, we thank you for this incredible weather. We pray that you will just keep it cold until Christmas so that I don't have to sweat on another hot Texas Christmas day. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. I can get a good amen with that, right? Everybody, come on. It's, it, we went to Christmas in Cuero last year, and I'm pretty sure I was in a t-shirt and still sweating. So it was, it was that bad. Hey, I want to I wanna talk to you a little bit about our hearts being troubled tonight. Have you ever been troubled in your life? I know oftentimes uh, around this time of year especially, people can be super troubled. And maybe you call it something else. Maybe you call it anxious. Maybe you call it worried, depressed. But we're, we have this trouble in our soul. 
And, and, and oftentimes around this time of year, we've even been saying this at our church, this is when people can get the most depressed. They get depressed about maybe not being able to provide for their family the way they want or not having family or comparing their life with someone else's life. Or maybe, maybe they're just anxious and they're tired and they're worn out and they're like, I, I got so many credit cards and how am I even going to afford Christmas this year and all these different things. And those are, those are some, some really big troubles. And I've got some a trouble in my life that I want to share with you. And it's probably not quite as severe as those troubles, a little bit more funny. But uh, a, a couple of months ago, actually about a year ago, my in-laws are going to make fun of me because they love this story. Uh, there was a time in my life where I was extremely troubled. It was a day actually where I was probably the most worried that I've ever been in my life. Are you guys ready for this? Like you're, everybody's like, this is about to be super serious. It's not serious. Like you guys are going to be so let down. Like you're like, did he go to the hospital or what happened? Wasn't that bad. So, so about a year ago, uh, at that time, my fiance, Hannah, she was going back to Australia for college. And at that time, she was living here in Victoria. I was living in Austin. And what we were going to do on that day when she flew back to Australia is we were going to meet at the Houston airport, uh, George Bush Intercontinental. And so I was like, I don't want to drive to Victoria, then drive to Houston, then back to Victoria, then to Austin. Austin, like that's just too much driving. I'll just meet you there. So what we do is the day, like we're driving, we're there, and are there on the way. I'm on the way, and about halfway there, I start getting some texts and some phone calls, and it's like, where, hey, where, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm driving. Where are you guys at? You know, and they're like, well, we're we're already here. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like you, you're there a little early, and they're like, I mean, we're, we have to leave soon. So I'm like, okay, I'll be there. It's no problem. I'll be there. So I drive a little bit more. Texts start getting a little bit more frequent, a little bit more frantic. It's like, where are you? Uh, I can't miss my flight. Like, this is a really expensive flight. I can't change it. I have to go through security. And I'm like, I'm going to make it. I'm fine. Well, I, I forgot that going to downtown Houston is different than going to George Bush. So it's a little bit farther from where I live. So it was like 30 minutes more than I thought it was going to be. So I'm like, I'm only 30 minutes away. 30 minutes go by. I'm still 30 minutes away. Anybody ever done that? Like, only just 15 minutes. It's like you said that 15 minutes ago, like you should be here by now. So I'm, I'm driving there and Hannah starts texting me. By this time she's calling me and she's like, Alex, I'm going to have to go through the security gate. Uh, I don't know if you're going to make it. I have to go through. I have to check my luggage. I'm just like, just please stay there. I cannot miss this because if I miss this, she was going to be gone for six months. Um, and that's a long time. I don't know if you've ever been dating someone, but to not see them for six months is a long time. And so I was like, I've got to make this flight. Ended up, I went three months into that trip, surprised her. Just a little piece of dating advice. If you fly across the world to surprise your girlfriend, you're going to get some brownie points. Just saying, just throwing that out there for somebody that's dating. Like you won't even drive across town, what, whatever, to pick her up, whatever. It's No, it's okay. Just trying to help people out there. I know the youth are in here, so I'm trying to, you know. So I drive, and I'm driving, and, and eventually she's, just, she's like, Alex, I, I got to go through. I'm like, I'm in the airport. Don't worry. I'm going to make it. Well, I didn't realize that Houston has like 15 different terminals that you can go to. So I take the wrong one, and I'm like, okay, I have to turn all the way around, go on this huge circle. The speed limit's like 10 miles an hour. I'm like, I really need to speed right now, but there's cops everywhere, like just white-knuckled on my, on my whatever, my steering wheel, so flustered. So I finally make it to where I'm supposed to go. And I go into the parking area, and I realize that I am in the wrong parking area. So I'm in international arrivals. I need to be in international departures. Again, 
frantic. So I go to the parking meter. I have my ticket, and they're like, you know, it's going to be however much money. And I'm just like, I've been in here for five minutes. Like, I just need to get out. I just need to go. My, my, my girlfriend, like, she's on the plane. I'm going to miss her. It's gonna, she lives in Australia. Like, can you just please let me? I'm just like, I'm freaking out. And this, this elderly African-American lady, she was working, she said, it's going to be okay, baby. It's going to be okay. Calm down. I was just like, no, it's not going to be okay. No, it's not going to be. What if I miss her? She just hates me forever. And like, oh, take a breath. So she let, you know, little things slowly comes up. Like it just seems like slow motion. It's going up. So I go around. I finally, at this point, I'm like, I'm just going to hop the curb. I'm just going to get my car towed. Like I'm just going to run in. And I, who cares? So I finally, I make it. I park. I am running I'm, I'm running, pouring sweat, just running. This is the middle of January. Like, it's cold outside, and I'm sweating. Run in, the glass doors fly open. She's standing there, her family's standing there, and I'm literally just like, oh, oh, I made it. Hey, give me a second. Just give me a second. I love you, too. Yeah, just, oh, I made it. And I made it, but my heart was so troubled. Because I thought I was going to miss that moment. I didn't miss it. We got to hang out for like five minutes. We did a really long extended hug. You know, one of those, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like one of those, like we get the little cuddled, little back rub going on. We got the hug. And so she left. I'm crying. Like I don't even want to go home. I just sit down. I'm just like, I'm just going to live in this airport for the next six months until she gets back. Like what's whatever. But, but my heart was troubled. And that's a, that's a funny, a funny story. But a lot of us, maybe you're going through this right now. I know I've been through some things recently where even though that's a funny story, maybe you can relate where there's something in your life and maybe you feel like you're not going to make it on time. Maybe you feel like you're not going to make enough money. You're not going to measure up. That person's not going to come to you and and do that thing that you want them to do. and, And your heart begins to be troubled. Or maybe for you, it's not so much something in your personal life but you're just troubled with the world that we live in. We just had the prayers on the screens. Literally, the state of California is on fire right now. There are people that their homes are just being burned. And I know many of you, you see that and you feel that pain. Or maybe you've experienced some things in the flooding that just happened a few months ago in this area where people lost their homes, people lost their lives. They lost every, we live in a troubling time. There's political trouble, there's economic trouble, there's trouble with wars and all these different things. We live in these troubling times. And sometimes, even if something isn't going on in our own life, all of the buzz and the noise and the things that we hear all around us, it's really hard to be at peace in the world that we live in. Is anybody tracking with me? It's hard to just be like, okay, we're good, like everything's going good, because it seems like every day when you wake up to something, like I literally had to turn off the news notifications on my phone, because every day... I would wake up to another tragedy, another school shooting, another fire, another flood, another country in a civil war, another economic collapse, another government politician being corrupt, another uh, whatever it may be. And so we're troubled. But how many of you know God says, let not your hearts be troubled? Let not your hearts be troubled. So in your own life, it may seem hard. But here's the thing, we have to trust God in the midst of our trouble. We have to know that no matter what I'm going through, God's got me. No matter, no matter how hard life gets, no matter what kind of tragedy that I'm in, that God is on my side. I know uh, there's a great story that I love, and you probably heard it before. It's a very famous man. His name is Charles Blondin. 
and he was a tightrope walker in the mid-1800s. And how many of you know in the mid-1800s, there wasn't a whole lot of like fun going on apparently, because apparently people would watch someone walk on a rope, like that was the big, that was the big attraction of the day, like let me throw up a rope over here and people pay me to walk on it, like this is awesome. But Charles Blondin, he was the most famous tightrope walker of his day. And probably one of his biggest feats that he ever did was he had a rope across Niagara Falls from the United States to Canada. I don't have a picture tonight, but you can just imagine if you've seen Niagara Falls on a movie or don't Google it right now, but Google it when you get home. It's, it's a pretty big gap. It's pretty scary. There's a lot of water. It's very loud. It's just, it's this huge thing. And so he strings this rope across and thousands of people come out and they start to watch him, and they're like, this is going to be awesome. And so he walks across it. You know, I'm sure he's like kind of, you know, he's kind of walking across it. You know, is he going to fall, or he's trying to make a show out of it. And so he walks across it and makes it cross fine. Well, after he walks across a few times, you know, people are kind of getting a little bored, right? Like after you see something a couple times, you're just like, ah, it's not really cool anymore. Why don't you do something else? So then he's like, okay, well, I'm going to walk across it blindfolded. So he walks across it blindfolded, and people are like, oh, this is so awesome, and then that kind of gets boring. So he's like, okay, well, I'm going to walk across it in a potato sack, and it's just like, okay, this is so cool, and then it's like, I'm going to make breakfast in the middle of the tightrope. This dude literally was frying eggs and, like, bacon and, like, making breakfast on a tightrope. So he's doing all these incredible things. And then people again begin to get bored. He's like, I got to make some more money. I got to get some more people here. And so he starts to ask, he says, okay, does anyone think that I can take a wheelbarrow with a sack of potatoes across this tightrope? This is a rope. This is literally just a few inches. And they're like, yes, you can do it. You're the best. We know that you can do it. So he's like, okay, I'm going to do it. So, so he takes the wheelbarrow of potatoes across the rope. And, and he makes it, he makes it back over to the other side. And then people, he starts to say, do you think that I can take a person across the rope? Everybody's like, yeah, you can do it. You're the best. You're the best. You can do it. And he's like, come on, do you think that I can do it? It's like over here. Like, do you think that I can do it? Do you think that I, he's like getting people to cheer. And so he's cheering. Everybody's like, yes, you can do it. Yes, you can do it. And he goes, okay, who wants to volunteer? You go, like, ah, yeah, you can do it. Cricket, cricket, cricket. Like you can't hear anything. He's like, no, no, you, you said that I could do it. So, so who, who's going to volunteer to do this with me? Who, who's going who's gonna to get on the line with me? But here's the thing. They were just spectators. They were just there to watch. They didn't want to be a part of the show. They didn't want to be a part of the miracle of walking across this giant gorge, this giant hole in the earth. They were just spectators. And the thing is, is God in our life, there's some things that we have to walk across that are kind of scary. There, there's, there's some leaps of faith that we have to take. Sometimes where it may look like there's just a little rope and this is a giant hole and how are we going to make it across? And God's saying, do, do you want that to happen in your life? And you're like, yes, God, do a miracle in my life. I want you to move in my life. Like, I want to be in that ministry position. Like, I want that promotion. I want to do that. Whatever, whatever you're praying for, these big things that we pray for. And then God's like, all right, are you ready? Get in the wheelbarrow. And everybody's like, whoa, God, well, hold up. Like, what'd you say? I got a, something else to do. I see, like, the show's over. Are, are, you, follow, are you following me here? So, so God, God asked us to get in the wheelbarrow. He asked us to, to go across to the other side with him, and we, we kind of take a step back. Because a lot of times we're just like the people that were watching Charles Blondin. We're, we're the spectators. We want to see God do amazing things. 
We, we want to see God change our city. We want to see great things happen in Victoria. We want to see souls saved. We want to see the church grow. We want to see miracles. But then when something is asked of us, we, we kind of take a step back. Because here's the thing, do we really trust God? See, those people, when they said that they were trusting, he asked, hey, do, do you believe that I can go across? Yes, I believe it. I believe it. And then when he asked something of them, it showed their real faith. It showed their real trust. Do, do they really believe it? Or are they just speaking that they do? And so here's the thing that I believe, that God has not called us to be spectators in this life. That God has not called us to do things where he's just going to do it all for us. We're just going to watch the show. We're just going to be along for the ride. God has not called this church to just be a church of spectators. Where God's going to do a lot of incredible things and you just get to kind of ride the coattails. God has called us to be not spectators but participators. That God has called us to get in the wheelbarrow with him and go across to the other side. And I believe it's so crazy. I mean, I didn't even know that you guys were, were raising money for, for the building and all that sort of thing. It's a perfect example of we can, we're, we're in the same situation that you guys are. Trust me, I get jealous when I come here. So if you don't like this building, you should come to Oasis because it is packed and the ceilings are about this tall. So if I raise my hand, I'm gonna punch through the ceiling. I, I'm not lying. So, but, but, so we're in the same place and we're like, man, we want a building. We want to build, like we have this land. It's gonna be great. And then when we start to think about it and we're like, well, that's a lot of money that we're going to have to give. And we start talking to people, and it's crazy whenever, especially there's people that they're not even really a part of the church, and they're like, man, we need to build a building. And I'm like, I haven't thought about that, bro. Are you serious? Build a building? You're a genius. You're a genius. And I'm like, hey, man, uh, you got $2.3 million? Say what? Like, no, like God's just going to, and I'm like, yeah, God may step in a little bit, but, but God's going to need us to get in the wheelbarrow with him to join our faith in with what God can do. We, we take a step, and then God takes a step, and then we take another step, and, and God fills in the gaps. But, but we have to take that first step. And so it's, gr it's great, the story of Charles Blondin. Eventually, there was a man that did take that step of faith and said, okay, I'm going to get in the wheelbarrow with you. And they crossed to the other side. They went back. They went all kinds of ways, upside down. I don't know. That's not even possible. But like they went all, and, and they, they made it. But it's just a great story of faith to me. Because if, if we can't trust what we can see, how can we trust what we can't see? Anybody, anybody heard that? If we can't have faith for what is in front of us, how can we have faith for what we can't see? And so I want to share with you as we go on, one of the really, I believe, the greatest stories of faith is found in Daniel chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. This is probably a very familiar story. It's about three Hebrew young boys called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anybody seen the VeggieTales version of this story? That's where I get all of my Bible from, VeggieTales. Like that's, that's where I got this sermon from. Come on, guys. So Daniel chapter 3, there are these three Hebrew boys and uh, just to kind of sum up what happened so that we don't have to read through a couple chapters of the Bible tonight, essentially the Hebrews are taken over by a kingdom called Babylon, the Babylonians. And the Babylonians, they're very different than the Hebrew people. So they're very wicked, they're very pagan, they worship false gods, they worship golden idols. And what they do is they say, okay, to take over this country, we're going to take you as slaves, we're going to bring you into our kingdom, we're going to make you dress like us. We're going to make you talk like us. We're going to make you worship our gods. We're going to make you, we're going to make you Babylonians. 
And if you and if you know anything about just like cultures and colonialization and when one country goes into another country, the best way to take over a country is to not make your people rulers over those people, but to make their own people take them, make them like you, and then make those Hebrews rule over the Hebrews. You, you stay sticking with me? This is similar to what Herod does in the New Testament when Jesus is born. So the Romans didn't want to control the Jews, so they took Herod, they paid him a lot of money, they made, placed him in this place that he wasn't, didn't really have the right for, and they said, okay, because you're a Jew, we're going to put you as king and you control your own people. Like, you take care of your people, and we're, just, we're going to give you a little kickback from the taxes, and that's what you need to do. So these three boys, they were a part of a group of men, and they're really young. Like, they're probably like 13, 14, 16, 17, somewhere around that age. And, and, and the king, what he does is he brings them in close, these young men, and he begins to train them the highest that you can be trained. He gives them the best clothes, takes them to the best universities, gives them the best food, makes them because he wants them to be Babylonians. And so, so they are, they're up in the kingdom. Like they're, they're very recognizable people. People know who they are. They know that, okay, these are the guys that the king wants us to follow. Like these are the guys that are supposed to be doing things the way that King Nebuchadnezzar says to do. So we need to follow their example. And then there's an idol built. And King Nebuchadnezzar orders that everyone in the land has to worship his idol. If you watch the VeggieTale version, it's a giant chocolate bunny. I don't think it was actually a giant chocolate bunny, but, but, but it's an idol. And, and he orders them to all worship this idol. But, but the Hebrews, e even though they had changed their clothes, even though they changed the way that they talked, even though they changed where they lived, they hadn't changed who their hearts worshipped. E even though that they said, okay, you know, you need to worship these gods. It, it, they didn't change. They said, this is who we are. This is who we worship. We worship the one true God, Yahweh, Elohim. This is, this is who we worship. We're not going to bow down, Nebuchadnezzar. We're, we're not going to bow down to who you're telling us to worship. And so this is where we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, verse 14. It says, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the golden statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown into the blazing furnace. And then what God, notice little g, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Like, I can just, oh, you don't even know, buddy. Let me tell you right. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God, notice big G, whom we serve, is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power your majesty. I like how he says that. It's kind of like one of those ones who says like, no offense, but then they offend you. He's like, your majesty, but I don't really follow you. Just, just saying. But even, notice this, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, don't hurt us yet, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I just want to read that last verse to you one more time. But even if he doesn't, 
we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. The king gets really angry at this point because he said, I'm going to give you one more chance. And again, these are people that he has invested into. These are not just random slaves that he's never seen before. These are people that he has trained up, people that have been with him daily in the courts. These aren't people that he's wanting to throw into the fiery furnace. But he knows that if he doesn't do this, that it's going to cause a rebellion. Because if people start finding out that you can go against the king, it's not going to be good for him. So that's why he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. So he gets angry. And he decides to throw them into the fiery furnace. Worship team, if you guys want to go ahead and come back up. We skip down to verse 24. It says, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? And I can just imagine that the, the guy that is kind of working for him, he's like, yes, we certainly did, your majesty. Like, we did a good job, huh? Like, I need to get a promotion. Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. What I love about this story, and I was actually going to speak on Daniel tonight, which was kind of crazy because they, they go along right beside each other, these two stories. But what I think is so crazy about this, that in this moment, that after they come out of the fiery furnace, the Bible tells us that their clothes didn't even smell like smoke, that, that their clothes weren't even burned, that there wasn't even any singes on their clothes. That, that's the miracle that God did. And when they came out, that Nebuchadnezzar began to exclaim and ask, what God are they serving? Because again, this guy, he's got a lot of gods. So he's like, because he's like, which God can save you? Again, he's asking, no, which one can save you? Not, is he going to save you? Which one is going to save you? So they begin, he begins to ask, which God did this for you? Which God is so powerful that when I throw you into this furnace, that by the way, it was so hot that when the people threw them in, the people that actually threw them in burned as well. That's how hot it was. They, they died instantly. How can this God be so great? How, how can he be so powerful that when I throw you in, not only do you not die, not only do you not get burned up, do your clothes not smell like smoke, but how can your God be in the fire with you? Because see, my gods or in a shrine somewhere. See, my gods, I, I have to go to them. See, my gods, I, I have to bring things to them. They can never come to where I am. They can never come into my situation. They can never come into the midst of my fire. They can never come into the midst of my troubles. But your God can. So which God is this? That even in the midst of your troubles, even in the midst of your fire, that he's with you. And of course, they begin to explain who their God is and who they worship. And the king actually makes this proclamation that everyone in the kingdom has to add this God to their list of gods to, to worship. Not all the way there, but he kind of made it like 50% there. You know, he's work, work in progress. So, so all of the kingdom has to worship this God, the one true God, the capital G God. 
Elohim. And these young men go on to be rulers of this whole kingdom. They go on to convert more people. But through their trial, through their trouble, an entire kingdom is changed. So could it be on this Wednesday night, and I know maybe this has been simple for some of you, but I just wanted to come and encourage you that maybe you're on one side of this huge cliff and, and there's, there's a narrow path to get to the other side. And maybe in the middle of that path, there's some bad doctor reports. Maybe there's some negative bank accounts. Maybe there's some things that you've been going through and you're like, God, I don't know if I can make it to the other side. I don't, I don't know if I can go through this. Maybe you've already gone through some trials in your life. I know we have some people in our community where they've been through cancer multiple times. They've, they've been diagnosed with cancer, be, been healed, and then they get diagnosed again. They're like, God, I don't, I don't know if I can go through this again. But God's asking, he said, do you trust me? Will you get in the wheelbarrow with me? Because see, I've, I've been to the other side. See, God is already at the end of your story. Have you ever thought about that? That God is omnipresent. It says that he was at the beginning and he is at the end. He's the alpha and the omega. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. So could it be that while you're worrying, God is already at the end of your problem. He's already on the other side of the fire and he's just waiting for you to get in the wheelbarrow because he can't make you get in the wheelbarrow with him. He's not gonna force you to get in the wheelbarrow with him, but he's saying, if you'll get in with me, if you'll put your life on the line, if you trust me, we're gonna make it to the other side. We're gonna make it through. Why don't you stand with me tonight? I love that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had so much faith that they said, even if he doesn't, we won't worship you. Even if I don't get my healing, I'm not gonna give up my faith. Even if my family never comes to church, I'm not gonna give up my faith. Cause see, that's conditional. That's conditional faith. If you say, okay, God, I'll believe in you if you'll do this for me, that's not truly believing in God. So what if tonight we had that attitude where even if he doesn't come through, I should say, even if he doesn't come through like I want him to, because he's always gonna come through. But even if he doesn't do it how I want him to, I'm still gonna trust in him. I can imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they begin to walk towards the fire, had it settled in their heart that even if we burn up in these flames, at least it'll be a testimony that we never gave up. At least someone, maybe one of these guards will see us and change their hearts. I thought about maybe uh, you remember last year, the Coptic Christians that were executed by ISIS very similar situation to what's happening in this story where there are people that do not believe in the one true God and they're killing 
people who do believe in God because they don't believe in the false God. Almost the exact same story. And they kneel them down on their knees and they put hoods over their heads. And those Coptic Christians, instead of giving up, instead of saying, okay, God, you didn't come through, I'm gonna back out at the last minute. Instead of doing that, they begin to sing hymns. They begin to worship. Because they knew even if he doesn't come through, I'm going to still worship him. Even if it doesn't turn out how I want it to, I'm still going to lift up the name of Jesus. But here's the thing. Here's the good news that I've come to tell you. That he's going to come through. That God always comes through. God always fulfills his promises. He always makes good on what he says. I want to read one more scripture to you, and it just, I, I just love this scripture. It's a psalm. I don't think I gave it to the people on the team. Psalm 139, verse 8. says, if I go to heaven, you are there. But if I go to the grave, you are there. This is a psalm of brokenness. Of I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going on in my life right now, God. Everything seems to be in turmoil. My relationships, my finances, my health, my education, my job, everything. I don't know where I'm going, but even though I don't know where I'm going, I know when I get there, you're there. Even though I don't know what's on the other side of this rope, even though I don't know what's on the other side of this fire, I know that you're there. And if you're there, then I can make it through. If I will link in and realize that God is on the other side of this problem, if I will begin to believe that He truly doesn't want my heart to be troubled, if I will begin to say, I'm not gonna be troubled. Trust in God. Trust that God's gonna come through in your life. So you may be in this place and just a normal Wednesday night for you. I don't know if you got anything out of this sermon, but I just really feel like I came to tell somebody that you're going through something right now and you don't understand it. You don't understand why you have to go through it. You know, why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to go through the fire? Why couldn't God just have changed Nebuchadnezzar's heart before they stepped into the fire? Have you ever thought about that? Why, why did apostles have to be executed? Why was Paul crucified? I'm, I'm sorry, why was Peter crucified upside down? Why did they have to go through that? We don't know. But I know whatever I have to go through, that God is on the other side. That if I make my bed in heaven, or if I go to the grave, that you are there. So with every head bowed, every eye closed tonight, I just want to pray. If there's anyone in this room, I want to say two prayers. First of all, if you're in this place and you are a believer, you've put your trust in God, you, you, you believe in God, but you're going through something right now. Your heart is troubled. You don't know how you're going to make it through. You don't know if you're going to make it to the other side. God's asking you to take some pretty big steps of faith. 
and you're just not, not really sure about it. And you just say, I need God to let me know that he's with me. That no matter where I'm going, he's already there. If you're in this place and you want me to pray with you about your heart being troubled tonight, if you wouldn't mind just lifting your hands, this just so that I can know who I'm praying for. There's hands going up all over. Don't feel embarrassed. We all go through troubling times. Just all join me in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this night. We thank you that we can come in and that we can worship, that we can lift up your name. We thank you that no matter what we go through, how no matter how hard it gets, no matter how hot the fire gets, no matter how many times we're laid off, no matter how many times we get diagnosed, no matter how many times we have to go to the hospital, God, you have given us a promise that we don't have to be troubled. We can cast our cares upon you. So I pray right now that every person that is in this place, that whatever they're going through, that you'll speak to them now. That you will show them that you are with them always. That you are with them. That even if you've called them into some hard times, you're not going to leave them there. That you're going to bring them out of that fire. Remind them that God didn't, that, that you didn't leave the three Hebrew boys in the fire, but you brought them out. Remind every person in this place that they're going to get through this. That they're going to make it to the other side. That they're going to come out of this. They're going to come out of it better than they went into it. mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live, give, and love like Jesus. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media at CLC Victoria and download our app.